0: You know, and a, a wonderful and amazing ministry, and I'm, I'm sure they have a great story to tell. So that's worth being here. But then we will be here back for the next three Sundays after that. So, so that's how the the, the pattern works. I'm going to talk with you about uh, about this book, which is called Biblical Fracking: uh, Midrash for the Modern Christian and I'll explain the title and we'll get into all that but uh, if you want it is not necessary to buy the book in order to participate in our time together here if you think you would like to have the have it uh, there's a copy of the book back in the back it costs $16 there's uh um, there's a you know an envelope there for making change it's the honor system this didn't look like a high crime area to me so i so i thought i could risk you know 20 bucks in the envelope there to uh on your integrity uh and if you if you in fact would like one uh with a credit card i can do that for you after the class because i i can do that with a square but i i can't do that while i'm talking up here that's just multitasking beyond my skills so um, so that's what we're going to do. Now, the, the way the our time together is going to work is that I want to talk with you today about uh, about Midrash, the, the Jewish practice of Midrash uh, and the adaptation of the word fracking to it to be a Christian expression of that, which is kind of controversial and difficult. So we'll, we'll talk about that a little bit and then give you some examples about how that works. Then what we're going to do in the next three weeks is that we are going to to work together and do some fracking of the Bible. We're going to do some midrash together. So what we'll be doing is looking at at a particular approach to reading scripture, an approach that I call forensic reading. That is it's you you read looking for clues that would take you someplace else and that you know, if if you understand that now you really don't. I'll explain in a little bit. Uh, and then we're going to talk about actually doing some midrash and exploring some of the stories and, uh, and, and how it works. And we'll be doing that together. So it, as I said, the, the book is not necessary, but it's back there. If you're interested in it, there it is. And, uh, off you go and, and you can have that. <clears throat> it is right, right there. Any questions about that? About, it's back there. Okay. Well, a little bit then about, about fracking. The, I want to explain the, the two words, the two main words, uh, midrash is the Jewish word and then fracking, which is the word that, that I made up to go with it. And then talk about some illustrations of that and how, how the thing works. So I want you to think 2,500 years ago, 2,500 years ago. 2,500 years ago, the city of Rome was just beginning to expand beyond its seven hills and begin to form the Roman Empire. 2,500 years ago, the people in Africa were just beginning to use iron tools. And 2,500 years ago, the people in China were just beginning to lay the framework and foundations for what would be the Great Wall. And 2,500 years ago, the Anasazi, the ancient ones uh, in the southwest of what is now the United States, began to do pictographs on the walls of the Grand Canyon. And 2,500 years ago, a group of rabbis met in Jerusalem, and they began to wonder. They began to wonder. They began to speculate. And the first question that anybody can remember that they began to wonder about was simply this. Why didn't Adam talk Eve out of eating that apple? Why didn't Adam talk Eve out of eating that apple? Well, a couple of things about that. One is, of course, there's no answer. Scripture doesn't go there. It's not part of the story. That as soon as you begin to raise that question, you have departed from the text and you are in the arena of speculation. And the other thing that they found was that, that when they, when they started to deal with that question, which, you know, has no answer, they found that the speculation itself had unanticipated benefits. What they discovered was that Wonder, speculation in the context of faith is its own point and makes its own reward because the basis of all faith is wonder. The basis, basis of all faith is wondering about something for which we have scant evidence. And so they found themselves in the middle of a valuable exercise and they also found that their exercise was not really idle speculation. Because when they began to raise the question about why didn't Adam talk Eve out of eating the apple, what they found that they were really doing was talking about human nature and human relationships and the high cost of missed opportunities. So by raising that question, which, you know, on the surface of it seems as silly as You know, naming the shapes of clouds, you know, that looks like a tiger or that sort of a thing, or for that matter, following the house of Windsor and all their troubles or whatever, you know, that it's that kind of speculation, but it isn't, you know, it's, it's more serious. It was the kind of exercise that before God always bears interesting and valuable fruit. So their word for that kind of speculation was midrash, midrash, M-I-D-R-A-S-H, midrash, like having spots on your stomach, midrash. (laughs) And what that word means is to seek or to inquire. Okay, very simple concept, to seek or to inquire. And it became a staple of Jewish life. It became a staple of the manner in which Judaism approached not only the scriptures, but also the law and all the other things, and it became very valuable to them. Now, that started 2,500 years ago. 500 years after that beginning, Judaism and Christianity separated, and that's its own story. But when we left, when we Christians left Judaism, uh, somewhat at the request of Judaism, you, you may recall. But when we left, without dwelling on that too much, when we left, the, we took with us the mythology. We took with us a lot of the symbolism. We took with us the scriptures. We took with us a lot of things, but we didn't take Midrash. We didn't take Midrash. Now, you can wonder, well, why didn't we? You know, I mean, it was a valuable part of what was going on. Everybody knew about it. It was what they did. And so there it was. Well, why didn't they take it? Well, you know, the, A, nobody knows, and B, I'm a preacher, so not knowing what I'm talking about doesn't slow me down for a minute, so I, so I can want to keep going, but here's what I think, here's what I think was, happened. I think Christianity was, was pretty uptight at, at our beginning. You know, for one thing, uh, our earliest, the earliest Christian communities thought the world was going to end Thursday. Friday at the latest. That the world was going to end. Now, if you think the world is going to end in a little bit, that's just not time for speculative wondering. Okay? So, so it, it, there wasn't a place for it. They were just a little busy right then to do that. Well, you know, after it became sort of clear that maybe Jesus wasn't coming again on Thursday, no later than Friday, then, alright, then what happened is that we ended up in a period of persecution because by then we had been kicked out of Judaism we had lost the uh, the umbrella protection that the Romans gave to Judaism but was not extended to to this sect that wandered off and so we got into a period of persecutions so if people are chasing you or more to the point if lions are chasing you in the arena you know sitting down and speculating on why adam might not have talked to eve is is probably not how you're going to spend your time so we had that period then after that you know, in the Christian story, being all too brief, in the, in the telling of it, what happened is that we suddenly found ourselves to be the establishment, and we, now we're, we're really okay. We're more than okay, and everybody thinks we're swell. And then we found out that in the, in the 300 years that we had been you know, persecuted and, and all that sort of thing, that people had developed some pretty weird ideas about what Christianity was. So we embarked on a search for orthodoxy. And that's when we wrote the Nicene Creed, that's when we wrote other creeds, and we had the councils and all that sort of thing, to try and figure out, well, wait a minute, what do we really believe? Well, that was about what we really believe in our heart, and again, it was not a time for speculation. So, now, in the year 410, Rome falls, and we begin running the world, which is properly called the Dark Ages, and, and the, and there we, there we are, and, you know, you're 400 years downstream and Midrash was kind of left behind. So we didn't really pick it up. Now it's not entirely absent. Uh, if you've looked at the spirituality of Ignatian spirituality that it uses imagination and this sort of thing a lot and it's used to great effect. Uh, there's also, you know, a, a commonplace, uh, f- form of Midrash. I would guess, uh, let me see, did, when you, when you had church here on, uh, on Epiphany, actually the Sunday was the day before Epiphany, did you sing We Three Kings? Did you all sing, you didn't sing that hymn? You know the hymn? We Three Kings? Okay, that hymn is pure Midrash. That's Midrash. You know, because, you know, it says, you know, We Three Kings, you know, Bringing gold, frankincense, and myrrh, and all that sort of thing, and everybody knows. You mean Amal and the night visitors? You got that great opera? You've got all kinds of things that everybody around knows that if you're going to depict them, you've got three kings and they're carrying the three boxes and they're showing up and all that kind of thing. It's part of our understanding. But if you read the Bible story, the Bible story doesn't say doesn't even say there were three people. It says there were three gifts. And so when we started to paint pictures of it, it said, well, let's make sense to, to give everybody a gift. So that's how you got three people. But that's not in the Bible. That's mid That's moving beyond. That's moving beyond. Now... Now, then we, then somebody decided that they were kings. Well, they weren't kings. They were magicians. They were astrologers. That's what they were. But no, we made them kings. And so then we said, all right, now one of them came from Asia and one of them came from Africa and one of them came from Europe. And now we're way off the text. And then we said, well, their names are Caspar, Melchior, and Balthazar. Now, you know, you can't even see the text in Matthew from that point. You know, it's so far. So now what makes that okay? Well, what makes it okay is that it's consistent with the telling of the story. Because the point of epiphany is not that these were kings or that they came from here, there, or wherever. The point was they're not Jewish. That's what the point of epiphany is, that God reveals his truth outside of of the faith community. That it's for everybody. It's not, it's not an exclusive sort of a thing. And that's the message. Now, it really doesn't matter then if you make those symbols into kings or house painters or, you know, or fuller brush salesmen or whatever you wanted to make them. That's really okay as long as they're not Jewish. That's the point. And so they stack them up that way. Amy? Fathers and mothers considered a form of the well, no no they 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 were pretty orthodox in their the in the in their in their their writings and and whatnot they i mean they uh they did not i mean the the desert fathers and mothers in 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 the, in the historic context uh when the age of martyrs ended and we ended the persecutions people sought ways to express their faith as As bravely as the martyrs had, which led to a substantial number of hermit communities, not only in the desert, as Amy's talking about, but in other places. And they were they were leaders. They were you know they were thoughtful people and all that kind of stuff. Not I would I would not connect them to Midrash. Now somebody who knows a lot more about the Desert Fathers might, but I I do not make that connection. So so but they they were they were part of the Christian community that 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 they were there. So Midrash is not foreign to us. Okay, but it's not really part of what we do and what we have, and so we have missed something by not entertaining Midrash as one of the ways that we let the Bible enrich our lives. And so, our Jewish, the Jewish community around us, uh, they have it, they use it all the time, uh, we haven't quite used it, and so, The reason for the book, the reason for this conversation is to say, well, let's see if we can pick that up because it's kind of it's a it's a valuable thing. So that's what we're doing now. When we do this, a distinction needs to be made. Uh, Midrash is a Jewish term and it is steeped in the traditions of Judaism. It is formed by that tradition and held together by that tradition what i do as a christian is that's not i'm i'm not there okay i am not jewish so so i i think it's when you take something that belongs to another tradition you're going to respect the fact that it belongs to that tradition that midrash is jewish you know fracking is a word that i made up that i'll explain a little later to to say it's 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 from there but it's different so that that for example the you know the 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 men's retreat is this weekend and they went Someplace, and so, uh, but you know, wherever they went, I'm sure that it would not be called an ashram. An ashram is a, is a religious center in Hinduism, and I'm pretty sure that the that the men's group I don't know, didn't go to one. You know, they went to something in their, in their own tradition. You know, by the same token, if you remember reading the Canterbury Tales, the Canterbury Tales is not the story of a Hajj. A Hajj is a Muslim tradition. It's a Muslim word. It belongs in that tradition. So when you, when you touch something that belongs to somebody else, you got to respect the fact that it belongs to somebody else. So we need another word. So, so I'm sitting there all by myself and I said, okay, fracking. Now I'm from West Virginia, so I know a little bit about fracking and I know it's controversial, but frankly so is Midrash. It's controversial. Now, the reason I chose the term is because Midrash is getting treasure from the cracks and seams of scripture. You know, why did Adam, didn't Adam talk Eve? That's in the cracks. That's not in the scriptures itself. That's down in the cracks. Fracking is getting treasures from the cracks and seams of the earth. Fracking and Midrash are both easily abused. It would be easy to say, Well, the reason Adam didn't talk Eve out of eating the apple is that he tried, and women never listened to anything anyway, and that's why she didn't do it and look at all the consequences that's not a very good thing to say i God knows I wouldn't say it here seriously but but you know you can you can abuse it because there's nothing to guide you it's easily abused like fracking geological fracking is easily abused and there could be examples of that of people going off on a tangent and having their own kind of a story like that so that's what that's why i chose the the title fracking now it's also chosen frankly because it's a jarring word uh you know this is this is part of the title of a book you know the reason for choosing a title of a book is so that people will will pick up the book I mean, that, that's what it's for. I, back in the early part of the 18th century, Alexander Pope wrote a poem about somebody who, who snipped a, a bit of hair off the back of a lady's head. The title of the poem was The Rape of the Lock. You know, that. now that, that, <laughs> that's, that's intended to get people to stop and say, wait a minute, what is this, and, and to read it and see what's going on. So that's what book titles do. I mean, all of them do that. You know, uh, Salman Rushdie, uh, you know, Wrote a book called Satanic Verses, and that was right after he got in so much trouble for you know for offending Islam, and that's just to tick everybody off and make them buy the book. So it's that's part of the purpose of a a title, but you know it's got to have something to do with the book. So fracking is reaching into the cracks and seams of the Bible. That's what what we're talking about. It's not you know the standard Bible study. I, I know you all do a lot of Bible studies here. Midrash or fracking is not the place to start with script, with studying scripture. That's not the place to start. The way to read scripture, the most powerful and effective way to read scripture is, is devotionally. Devotionally. The Bible is the meeting ground. The Bible is where people have been going to these stories and these, these accounts for 4,000 years. And when they go there, like as not, they find themselves meeting God. That's why we go there. That's why we read the Bible. That's why you read it in church. That's why your different Bible study groups meet is because when people go there, they tend to find God. It's kind of like a fishing hole. You know, that, okay, everybody knows that if you go there, you're likely to catch fish. Automatic? No. Does everybody who go get? No. But if you're if you're looking to catch some fish, that's a place where we've been going for a long time. That's where we tend to find them. By the same token, you know the Bible. You know if you pick it up, you're going to find something every time you pick it. No. Is it every time for everybody? No. But that's where we've been going for a long time, and that's what we do. That's devotional reading. People who read the Bible devotionally find uh, the power of it, and the power of it is largely that. That when we read the Bible after a while, after a little while, you find out that it 's really you 're reading about yourself, and its power to reflect is what makes it real and what makes it what makes it good so so that 's the most important way to read the bible that i mean so i, I, I that 's got to be there and, and do that now Midrash is going beyond that fracking is going beyond that um, you know so you you read the Bible devotionally, other people read it. You know, historically, linguistically, scientific, all that kind of stuff. There's lots of ways to go, but devotionally is the way to read the Bible. Okay. Fracking is reading it forensically. I used that word a little earlier. Forensically, that you you read along and you look for clues. The Bible is for the most part a spare document. It doesn't it doesn't give a lot of detail. And so when you come across a detail, a piece of information, then you look at that and you say, why is that there? So the Bible, you know, as I said, is a spirit document, except for Leviticus, which is gives you way too much. But but that's but but that's another piece of it. So it's a it's a it's a place that calls for further exploration and invites us to come in. So. For example, now this is an example of fracking a story. Now one thing about fracking a story is that if you, if you begin to speculate, the speculation has to go someplace. You know, it, it wants to go someplace and make a connection with life or, or sell before God or something. So, for example, all four of the gospels tell the story of the feeding of the multitudes by Jesus. You know, familiar with that story, where he takes the loaves and the fish and all that sort of thing. Now, in John's telling of the story, uh, the uh, they, they're out there in the in the in the boonies someplace, and Jesus has been walking along, talking to people, and they get hungry, and so he's Jesus says. The disciples say to Jesus, well, everybody's hungry. Let's send them all." He says, no, you take care of them. Say, what are we going to do with it? What are we going to do with all these people? Then Andrew says, there is a boy here with five barley loaves and two fish. Now, your antenna goes up there. What? That's a lot of detail. What's that detail doing in there? And the other question is, what's that kid doing with five barley loaves and two fish? What what in the world I mean I mean as a teenager, yeah, but five barley loaves and two fish, I mean that that is I mean that is really off the charts. So so what's going on there? So this is when you start fracking. This is what I think. I think he was there to sell it. I think that his mom and dad knew that Jesus was going to draw a crowd. And they might have been the first people to try and make a few bucks off of Jesus, but they certainly weren't the last. And so they said the mama went out and she made the barley loaves, and dad went out and caught the fish, and they told Junior, all right, you go and you keep these in your coat, and when they get hungry, you bring it out, sell it for the best price, and that's what I want you to do today. Yes, sir. Yes, ma'am, says the kid. So stuffs it into his tunic or coat or whatever he's got. He goes along, and here comes the moment, and it's time to eat. So he goes up to Andrew, and he says, I've got five barley loaves and two fish. I think Andrew said, glad to see you, kid. So I think that Andrew bought it. I think, he, I think of Andrew as an honorable sort, so he paid him money for it. Then, here's what I think would happen next. I think the kid went home. And I think he missed the miracle. I don't think he was there for that. Because I don't think he actually gave a hoot what Jesus was talking about to all these people. It wasn't geared to him. It wasn't his story. His job was to sell the loaves and the fish. Then he'd come home and, you know, enjoy his friends. So I think he left. And... I think he left, and I think he missed the miracle. Now, there's absolutely nothing in the story that supports this, except I think it's reasonable. And so I think that's what he did. And then he becomes the model of everybody who, because they were focused on their job, missed the miracle that God was working all around him. That's what makes the story valuable. That's where the story comes by and says, whoops, that's that." now we're talking about my story. Now, now we're, now we're talking about me because the, the being so focused on what I have to do that my vision goes like this and I don't see what God is doing like that. Well, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands, but I think that everybody here could probably understand that. Okay. That's fracking the story. Right. I'm gonna, I've got several other examples, but I don't want to stop there. I've given you some information. See if any of that raises any questions, then I want to tell you some other, give you some other examples of fracking, uh, before we, uh, turn around. But does any of that, uh, there's a lot of information. Any of that raise any questions for you as to what, what the terms are and how they work and where they come from and what they do? Now, asking for questions really is a sincere want for questions, but it also gives me a chance to drink water. So go ahead. Any questions about any of that so far? Anything about it being barley in particular? No, I don't think. Not that I know. I think I, I think it was common. So what? What? It, what? It was, it was there. That, that's as far as I know. Um, can you make anything of it? Huh? I'm giving you an opportunity. Well, I'm, I'll give it back to you. Do you think there's any? Because <laughs> there, <laughs> well, it Well, I mean, it, it's it would you. It's possible to go to look there. I. When I look at that, that road doesn't go anywhere for me. I, but but there might be somebody who knows a lot about barley and and you know or baking bread or something like that who could do something with it. I I could not. But but I don't but know. There weren't people that did or didn't eat barley or any, there wasn't any hidden message that comes to you. Uh, no, it doesn't. No. no, it doesn't. I I think that you know if if Andrew had said uh, are any of these gluten free, that would have been you know another another <laughs> another another issue <laughs> another issue for it, but. Amy. I guess um, as I try to wrestle sort of with, with Midrash and, and perhaps the other arm would be, you know, taking the Bible literally. Yeah. Um, so, you know, I think obviously because I'm living in today's world and thinking about, uh, you know, how divisive the world is. Mm-hmm. Well, let's... I, you know, Presbyterians tend to, to, you know, diss the fundamentalists. You know, I I I'll speak for myself. I think sometimes as a Presbyterian, we, we zero in a lot on our intellectual prowess of exegesis mm-hmm. and forget, you know, that, that something is to be gotten out right. of what we're literally. Well, yeah. Mm-hmm. Literally. Right, right. So Well, I mean, of course, the Episcopal Church is free of that and all other sins, so I don't know anything about it. But, but the, uh, (laughs) but the, the I I think that that the I I think that where where there is an advantage here is that midrash is not about Scripture. You know, it's it's a departure from Scripture. So the person who says you know that you know this is how Jesus did the miracle, fine. I, I, you're not there. I mean, so the question is, what would the kid do? And 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 the and frankly, the the literalist friend has an opinion, and it doesn't weigh any more than yours. And it might be a way to actually talk about scripture where we're all equal, just speaking logically. You know, what's reasonable about this? Well, if you said, you know, oh, well, well, what happened is that the you know the the kid was was so stunned. You know, it was like a you know. Medieval pay, or Renaissance painting where they're all falling all over themselves in ecstasies of one kind or another and that's what it, okay, I, I can't argue with that. But, but it's a, it, it makes it, it's maybe a more generous space than, than the question of literalism and, and, and other interpretations. So I, I think it might have that, that advantage. But, yeah. yes ma'am, Gabe. Yeah. Right. Mm-hmm. and then when they saw you know, they right. started to share with each other right. and it became more, right. and more and more and more mm-hmm. you know. and, and, that, and that is uh, one of the common demystifying of that of that story uh, that, that everybody actually did have a sandwich in their pocket and they were inspired to share it and that and that was the miracle that it was. I, you know, I don't take that view, but, but it's, it's widely shared. I, I, that's, that's no problem because that's still, I think the kid left. So if, if the miracle unfolded that way, okay, that, that's a view. I, I, you know, I, I, I'm not sure that, that I believe that, but, but that's okay. Uh, but it doesn't touch the kid. I think the kid left anyway. So, so again, you're on ground that that I think can be possibly welcoming. But that that is you know a common uh, demystifying of that of that event. The other interpretation of that event is that what Jesus is doing here is acting out the drama of creation. You know that that he's he's creating ex nihilo out of nothing. You know that he's he's doing it. So. There you are. It kind of pays your money and takes your choice on that. But I'm talking about this 14 year old kid and, and what, and the, and the, and the fact that I think he went home and missed it. That, that's the point that I would make. But, but again, you know, I can't, I I can't tell you that's what happened because it's not there. It's just, you know, there's, there's, there's only, well, does that make sense to you or, or it doesn't? Okay. Fine. We, we go on. But, but that, that is a common interpretation of it, but I don't think it touches the, uh, the you know the the, the 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 question about this kid okay right. yes so sir well i think i, I think that a group of reasonable people could sit down and structure that in a variety of ways. That's one of the things we're going to do in the, in the next three times where, uh, for example, we're, we're going to, one of the, one of the sessions that we're going to have is, uh, the, the resurrection story of the women who, who go to find the empty tomb. And they, they came back and, uh, told the disciples and the disciples discounted them, thought it was an idle tale. Okay. I want to take that and just and ask us, we're going to do this, uh, you know and to I want the women to take the men's point of view and the men to take the women's point of view, and what does it feel like to hear a tale that you think is idle and reject the enthusiasm of your compatriots and what does it feel like to be rejected after you've seen something that you can't understand and are trying to do it what What happened after that? It seemed to them an idle tale that that's so that's fracking now you know there are no experts in the room you know it's it's just a question of what's it like it's like the, the 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 ancient rabbis that they were talking about why didn't adam talk eve out of eating the apple what they're really talking about is their understanding of human relationships and human life and that sort of thing. so it's so we we'll see we'll see it's a, it's your chance to be an expert so we'll <laughs> yes ma'am you mentioned um, that one point about how Yes I can sit here and abuse it for you if you like. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's just the fact that there that there's nothing. uh I mean, there, there aren't a, there, there's there's nothing to guide you. You know, when 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 I start in this case, and I'll, I'll give you some other examples in a minute. When I start in this case to to put together the this kid as I as I understand him, I mean that's that's my understanding, and so I can I can abuse that. And if I think that that all, you know kids are snotty little rotters and you know and he, you know he was mean and he didn't give his parents all the money he got because they wouldn't have known and something like that i could do that but i don't believe that i think that's an abuse uh, i think that you could take um you know uh, uh you know a, a, a story and and just turn it to your own purposes. I, I had a, gave a talk like this in in another case. We were talking. We're going to talk about it in just a minute if we get to it about the wedding at Cana in 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 Galilee, and the fracking of that story. And I had it in a conversation like this afterwards the, a, a man in the, in, the, in the congregation said you know I, I think that alcohol is evil and I think the reason it worked at Cana is because everybody was drunk and nobody knew it was still water and I thought well I don't buy that you know I, <laughs> I think that's I, I really think that's you know twisting this story to fit your own, your own and it's easy to do and so the, the, the kind of the antidote to that like the antidote to all scripture it, reading and study is in community so that that if you say, this is what I think, and then, you know, Joan McCullough next to you says, I don't, that doesn't, come on, look at that again. You know, that, let's look at, so it's, it's in scripture. It's a, And that's true of, of, of scripture itself, not, not just this midrash that, you know, I, I have a theory that the, you know, the Bible's like a person. If you torture it long enough, you can get it to say anything you really would like to hear. And so the, uh you know, the, uh the, the, so reading it in community and listening to other people say, Well, you know, that's not the way it, so that's that's the that's sort of the rope that holds us as we explore. Right. the wisdom of the community is what holds it back in. right. yeah, right. It it does. And and that's I mean that's true. I mean that's that's what law courts do you know that that you know that that's you know that's their job you know and and so we we do that in a variety of levels to, to yes ma'am I, it, that concept is not built into the understanding of midrash. So I think it would vary as, depending on the community that you're part of. It, a community that values the voices of young people, sure. But Judaism is not monolithic any more than Christianity is. So I I would say that undoubtedly there are places where that's true, and undoubtedly places where that's not true. And I I don't know enough about the communities, but but it's, but it's not built into midrash. Midrash is a concept, you know, of that that doesn't doesn't uh, require or preclude the inclusion of intergenerational things or interracial or interethnic or anything. You know, it, 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 it's just a way of, of doing things. And then with whom do you do it is a, is another, is another question. Okay. Anything? Well, a couple of other examples. Are we okay? To, yes, ma'am. Uh-huh. And uh so then one of the men in the class asked the question what do you think the prodigal sons was told to the next day? What do you well, right. so right. this, this a It's a great conversation. <laughs> and, and it and it, it helps us to do uh yeah. It, it does. I've, I've been part of conversations like that. I find it t- very rewarding too. And that's midrash. It's, a, I mean, of course, the prodigal son is a parable, not an event. So, so you you know, you're, you're kind of, but, but you gotta own that difference. But, you know, I, I was like, like you once part of a, a thing where we had to, you know, to, uh, put together and dramatize, you know, breakfast the next morning, you know, you know, dad and the two sons and, and to the, which was doing what your friend said. I should think that would be part of it. I'd be heartily disappointed if that were not if that were not part of it. But but then how do you deal with the continuing dynamic between the two sons? You know, I mean, all of that that part is there. But that's that's midrash. That's going beyond the content. And uh, yeah, it's a good it's a good 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 illustration. So, uh, well, a, a couple of other uh, examples. Um, the well, I, I mentioned a, a while ago the, the, the story of the wedding at, at Cana of Galilee, uh, <clears throat> John's Gospel. <clears throat> it's a very well-known story, uh, supposedly Jesus' first miracle at, at there. And the story is, of course, that uh, Jesus and all of his friends and his mother and everybody goes to a wedding in, uh, uh, in Cana. And, uh, and they're at the wedding reception, and, uh, and so they run out of wine. Uh, this, these, obviously these are not our kind of people, but they ran out of wine at the, uh, at the, at the reception. And, and so Mary goes up to Jesus. Mary goes up to Jesus and says, they're out of wine. Now, and, and he says, I don't want to do anything about that. Don't, it, it's just not my, my hour has not yet come, is what he says. My hour has not yet come. And Mary, in the time-honored tradition of parents everywhere, completely ignores what Jesus is thinking and t- says to the servants, you know, do whatever he tells you and walks off. And there he is, you know, stuck with that thing. So uh, that tactic has been used you know, from from that day to this. But my, my question is, the fracking question is, how does she know he can do anything about that? How does she know? That he can do anything. Now, my mother thought I was a pretty neat kid, but it would never have occurred to her that I could solve the wine problem at a reception. You know, so how, how does he do? It? Okay, here's what I think. I think that Jesus has been doing that around the house for a long time. I think I think that this family has not been to the liquor store in Nazareth in years, and I think that probably the feeding of the five thousand was field tested in Mary's kitchen. You know, they had their own little HMO at home with, uh, you know, with taking care of it. So the point of it is not to make jokes about the Holy Family, but the fact is that when people have gifts given them by God, they have to discover them. You have to play with them. You have to come to understand what that is. If your gift is singing, you have to explore that. If your gift is you know, philosophy, you have to explore that. If your gift is a healing touch or a healing word, you have to explore that. Jesus had to explore his gifts. Okay. He didn't come with a manual. You know, there wasn't anything that, that said, you know, here's, here's the gospels that are about to be written. Look what's coming. It, it wasn't there. So he had to figure out how that worked. He had to figure out what this power meant. So I think that he had to do what You do, which is he experimented with it. He began to learn what it was that he knew how to do and what he could do. And I think that's how Mary knew to go to him and say, fix the wine problem. Now, yes. Yeah, he is. She, knows, she sees so many that she just kind of, you know, Right. I I I don't disagree with you at all. The question I would, in my mind, is what did she see? And I think she saw oh, wow. Jesus learning how to do this. Uh, that's 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 my take on it. So I'm, I don't disagree with your point but at all. all in different right well the the wedding at cana is only in john's gospel but yes there, there there all those manifestations are there so uh so and and you you know you can have uh you know i mean you could spend you know a, a long time just trying to unpack the experience of mary okay I've, I've got another one coming up here about her but but there's you know what would that have been like you know, uh, you know there all so many dramatic paintings of Mary at the cross, for example, and you know, but the tomb. You know, it's you know, it's it, it's a story to unpack and and do, but but the point of it, the, the point of it is like all of Scripture that it's not their story, it's our story that that wants to emerge. Okay, so that it it's 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 not just to 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 know everything there is to know about you know. Uh, Ahab and Jezebel, for example I mean that's nice good for them or not good for them in that case, but you know but it's not them it's us you know it's it's seeing ourselves in that that's what gives scripture its power that's what makes it worthwhile so so i want I would say you know keep coming with it and you say like all mothers now you're talking about now we're now we're all where we can we can own it but it's that kind of story so uh, in the in the book uh there are twenty different stories about that so uh like like that you know of of fracking the, the stories that's that's what the book is about and an attempt to to, un, to to have this to claim it for our own uh, a couple of others that that um, that are well-known stories one is uh, you're familiar with the story of the sacrifice of Isaac okay that abraham the patriarch of all faith of all believing uh, you know had been promised by god that he would have a, a son an heir uh, that Gift to that that birth was so long delayed uh, that he had given up on it, and there's another fracking story we can get into about that. But he he had all but given up on it, and then they had a child, and they had a, 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 a male child, and they called his name was Isaac, you know, which is a word that means laughter. They were so thrilled to have this child. Now, uh, in there, in the course of of waiting for the birth of Isaac uh, in a in a, a sequence that doesn't make any sense to us in our culture but made sense to in the culture that Abraham and Sarah lived in. Uh, Sarah, unable to have a child uh, with Abraham as the father, uh, gave her her servant girl Hagar to Abraham uh, as a kind of a surrogate to have a child. And while that doesn't make a lot of sense here, you know, it, it did there. So just own that. And so Hagar has a child who's named Ishmael. And when Isaac is finally born, Sarah becomes very jealous of Ishmael, and <clears throat> kind of clouds up and rains all over Abraham and says, uh, you know, get rid of him, drive him out of here, get him, get him gone. We got, the, we got this and so that. Off they go. Abraham doesn't want to do it. But Sarah pushes him, and he ends up exiling Hagar and Ishmael, and that becomes a pivotal story in the establishment of Islam, which is you know, another another road that, that that goes down. But the um, the so so. You get those two facts in, in, in your in your mind. This is a beloved child, the fulfillment of God's promise to Abraham, the means by which Abraham is to be remembered from generation to generation, and Sarah is not without significant persuasive powers to get Abraham to do what she wants him to do, even though it's clearly a patriarchal society. Now, for in that context, for some reason, Abraham gets the idea that God wants him to sacrifice Isaac. So, you know, show me that you you love me. More than this child, which is your one hope of of the promise, fulfillment of the promise, and for Abraham, that's a terrible moral quandary. That's a, you know, that's a, a, a literal moral dilemma. The the conflict of two goods is what what a moral dilemma really means. And so here they come. His devotion to God, which has not only defined his life and his whole meaning as a human as a human being, but has he doesn't know it, but is going to give meaning to all subsequent uh beliefs and that Abraham's belief stands in Scripture as a counterpoint to Adam's disbelief and disobedience. So Abraham is characterized by obedience. That's who I am, that's what I do. You know, I'm I'm the obedient guy. And I've got Isaac who's my son, and now I've got to choose between turning my back on God and turning my back on my son. A terrible moral dilemma. Uh, for Sarah she would have solved that in a heartbeat. It would be Isaac all the way. So, my question. You know the story about how Abraham takes Isaac and goes off and, and then God provides the ram and so there we are and so whew, got out of that. So there you are. My question is, what was it like the night before he left? Between Abraham and Sarah. What was it like? Here's what I think. Now again, there's no record of that. There's no, there's no, there's no account of that. Here's what I think. I think Abraham didn't tell her. I think he didn't tell her. I think that he knows that if he told her, she was going to be all over him like a cheap shirt and that he was going to have to have Multiply his problems with that. So he didn't tell her. Now Abraham and Sarah have been together for a long time. And some of you have been married for a long time and you know when there's something not said. Our term for it, modern term is the elephant in the room. There were a herd of elephants inside that tent. There were, there was this incredible not spokenness about Abraham as he furrows his brow and deals with this moral dilemma and he's got He's decided to go through with it, but the decision to go through with it doesn't settle your stomach at all. And so Abraham is moody. He's sharp. And Sarah says, what's wrong? And he says nothing, and she knows it's not true, and she can't figure out what it is, and he won't tell her. And in that atmosphere, the demons of doubt and the demons of suspicion and all sorts of things begin to creep into the tent. And it's a horrible, horrible moment. And Abraham gets up the next morning. And he's going off to do that, and the only good news that he's got is that he has walked out of that uh, horrible atmosphere between him and Sarah. But now he's going to sacrifice his son. Well, the rest of the story is, comes off. Now he's coming back. Now, what's he going to do? Sarah, you're you're really not going to believe what happened today. You know, I was I was going to kill Isaac, but you know, that's about as much of the sentence he would have gotten out before Sarah would have would have. I don't think he ever told her. I don't think he ever told her. And I think that that, obviously there's nothing to support what I'm saying except what I know about families. That, I think, undermines the rest of the relationship. There was something. There was a secret. There was a thing not spoken, and it was never spoken, and we never quite got over it and a great deal of that which is the intimacy of a shared life and laughter and joy, you know, what happens in a case like that is that it is drained to the level of perfunctory. And I have a picture of Abraham and Sarah living out the rest of their lives, going through the motions of being together, but having been severely wounded by the decision not to tell her. Now, is there back up for that not a whisper but I think it's consistent with the way families work I think it's consistent with the way people work and it becomes therefore not their story but our story and that's what gives scripture its power any questions about that that's fracking a story <coughs> okay so I said there's 20 of them in here we're going to talk about others as we go along and uh, we've just got a few minutes now but um, you know we, we'll talk about others but you um, any questions about that? Wait. Yes, ma'am. Well, that he Excuse me. He was certainly there. Yeah, he was old enough. He was old enough to talk about it. And in the story, he says, dad, where's the, where's the sacrifice? He says, the Lord will provide, you know. So there, he is, he's no three year old. I mean, he, he knows what, uh, I, and, and you could do that. You can take that story too, you know, and, 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 and go somewhere with it, you know, what, you know, what happens when the people who are supposed to be your protectors become the opposite of protectors what is that you know what happens what happens with that i mean there are lots of stories uh of of the failure of that uh, the whole enterprise of adult children of alcoholics is based around the failure of of parental and what happens to the distortions of, so yeah you could do isaac i just didn't do isaac i did abraham and sarah but yeah you can go with isaac yeah, uh, we got a few minutes, but uh, I'll tell you one other quick one. Then, then we'll then we'll go. Are we okay? We want to. We can do this next time. Okay. Um, one of the things, as Abraham was waiting for the birth of of Isaac, for God to fulfill the promise, he's praying to God. And he says, you know, God, here I am. I mean, I'm I'm old. Sarah's old. Now, come on. You said we're going to have a child, and you know, we don't have a child. And so. You know, what's gonna go on? And in the context of that prayer, he says that the inheritor of my, of my house, my estate, uh, will be Eliezer of Damascus, a slave born in my, in my estate. Uh, okay, now stop there. If Abraham thought that Eliezer of Damascus would inherit the state, the estate, So did Eliezer of Damascus. So Eliezer of Damascus is cruising along saying, that kid is never going to come. And Eliezer of Damascus probably took some accounting courses at Oaks of Mamre Junior College in order to beef up a little bit for when he was running the operation. Thought maybe he'd move the desk a little closer to the window when he took over. You know, he's starting to put on, as we all do, the the furniture and the and the clothing of the place we think we're all going to and the door shuts in his face. You know the baby is born. The baby is called Isaac. The word means laughter. Everybody except Eliezer is laughing. So then the fracking of that story and I'm going to stop there. But the fracking of that story. What do you do with that kind of disappointment? What do you do when when you know that? That that promotion is mine. That job is mine. You know, this is. You, I'm going to get it. I'm going to do this. I'm going to. I'm going to be there, and then all of a sudden, you're not there. What's that like? So that's how you frack the story. But anyway, we'll stop there. Okay. thank Thank you.